This Choir Cast podcast episode is brought to you by Maria Francesca French, author of the newly released book, Safer Than the Known Way, A Post-Christian Journey. It's an exploration of the promise of faith from a post-Christian perspective. What does it mean to speak beyond binaries of theism and atheism, conservative and liberal fact and fiction? Why might a new type of theological imagination, one that defies categories in comparison with the challenge actual deconstruction offers, be all that is next? Here you will find a compelling read of story and personal journey with strong scholarship and deep theology, significant and transformational thought that has lived in the ivory tower for too long but made accessible and resonant. Read along as the tables are turned, head towards a horizon with no line, and follow a compass that doesn't point north. Prepare to be beckoned by ghosts and travel a path unknown, because to go out into the elegant chaos of all that might be waiting for us after Christianity, while still engaging in meaningful faith, is safer than all that might be considered certain. If you have moved past traditional notions of God, beyond mechanisms of belief, and find yourself relentlessly curious about what might be next, this book is for you. This more in my new book, Safer Than the Known Way, A Post-Christian Journey, out now. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh, my goodness. We are continuing our series, What's Wrong with the Religious Right? And uh, it's a documentary series. We're watching We're watching these documentaries, so you don't have to. But maybe you will anyway uh, after we talk about them. Or maybe you've already seen them, but we want to – we just have to talk about them because they're just – they're insane. There's so many crazy things. You can't believe it. Uh, but before we jump into this episode um, in our series, we want to do some introductions um, I'll start. My name is Keith Giles. I am one of your many co-hosts. I am the author of the Jesus Un series of books about uh, deconstruction and reconstruction and the release, recently released Sola Deus, What If God Is All of Us. I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, um, Shonda, Katie, and sometimes Matt. Say hello. Hey, everyone. It's Katie Valentine. I'm the founder of the uh, Facebook community, The Metaphysical Christian. So if you really want to piss off your religious right uh, friends and family, uh, come on and join that community because the mention the the second you mention a word like chakra, they're going to run for the hills. So if you want to not talk to them ever again, I can empower you to do just that. Uh, so happy to be here, and uh, this this is going to be a fun episode because there's some crazy, there's some crazy in the documentary. <laughs> Lots of crazy. Lots My of name crazy. is Shonda Ja. I'm the author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us and The Ancestors We Need to Free. I am proud to announce my upcoming docuseries, Zero and Not Counting. That'll be funny in a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it just won't actually you. be funny in a couple of minutes. It's just funny to me. Go ahead. That's all that matters. My name is Matthew J. DeStefano. I am also known affectionately as sometimes Matt. And I just want to give, I'll give a quick update. December is coming back. My soul so cries I know this show has missed a certain something, something, a little of the sauce, as December might say, or the spice. But um, fear not, folks. This year, she will be back. But in the meantime, we're holding it down for part two of our series and we are going to get shiny and I don't know if we're going to get happy, but we're going to talk all things Duggar and I don't know how I feel about that, but here we are. 
The good news is before we jump into that, I think we've got someone who can embody some of the stuff we're going to be talking about uh, in the next, as we engage the documentary series on Amazon Prime, Shiny Happy People, about the Duggar family. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, before that, we have someone. That'd be my cue, which I wasn't picking up on to... uh... (laughs) <laughs> to introduce our character. I was trying to be subtle. And Thank cute. you. You did. Yeah. You did. I just was like falling down the job. I'm so used to stone thoughts and to getting my like endorphins really, really going in with my laughter at stone thoughts. So my apologies. Uh, so we do, in fact, have a great heretic of the week for you who actually grew up, yeah, kind of akin to some of this movement that we're going to be talking about with, um, uh, like sort of crazy, like crazy theology. So the way I've been framing this, maybe we can talk about this at the end of the episode, is um, the kind of uh, the kind of environment that our wonderful heretic of the week grew up in and talks about in her recent book makes Southern Baptists look progressive. So y'all are going to enjoy this. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Karen Shock, and some would call me a heretic. Hi, Karen. Karen. Wow. Hi, guys. <laughs> so enthusiastic. Yes. Uh, that, that's uh, that's just a little bit. We are actually very seriously, very excited, Karen, to have you on uh, as our Heretic of the Week. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we've mean, been meaning to get you on here for a while now, and so we're really, really glad we finally found the time. Um, so, Karen, I always have to ask, the first question we always ask uh, of our Heretics of the Week is, of course... Why would anybody call you a heretic? And Keith, you know I love being called a heretic. That's kind of my do. favorite thing, right? Yes, you love um, that. <laughs> I'm going to say it goes back to in the early 2000s when I first took a deep dive into Calvinism and systematic theology by Wayne Grudem mm. and came out the other side questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if there was a God or not. I kind of didn't say that one out loud, but I did maybe say out loud that I didn't know if I believed in hell anymore. And I also said I liked Rob Bell. So <laughs> that was that was where it all started. That in and yeah. of itself will get you put into the heretic category. In yep. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> 100 yeah. We're going to just compliment you but also give you my sympathies on reading a book about systematic theology <laughs> Wayne Rudolph. i actually read that with jamal javanji so i was in a study with jamal at our church we were at a francis chan church plant and wow. did a study on systematic theology because i wanted to know god more like i i wanted to go deeper that's what's so funny about the whole thing i think when people come at us and call us heretics or say we're just being, you know, we would just want to sin. And that's why we're, you know, coming out with all these deconstruction thoughts or whatever. And it's like, no, actually, it's because I wanted to know God more. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went deep. And then I went, oh, can I say shit on here? Of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can say that out. Anything. No need. No need to believe it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, you wanted to know God more. And then you you read Wayne Grudem's. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is that is the textbook. I, uh, yeah. Uh, systematic Theology. And then you found out, right, that it seems, at least according to Wayne, that this God that you believed in um, was actually a really petty, um, 
spiteful, jealous, um, kind of like terrifying God who would just, if you, didn't, if you pissed him off, he didn't make him happy, he would throw you into the eternal flames. Well, it wasn't even if you pissed him off because we all pissed him off, according right. to Wayne Grudem. We all pissed him off and including the little babies. And when I got to the chapter or whatever, however that discussion came up, you know, our babies going chosen to go to hell. Like that's where I just was like, okay, you know, <laughs> this is it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. I, although I didn't, I wasn't actually done at that point. I kept going. I kept going somehow and got into different churches with, you know, you had to go to John MacArthur, uh, you know, John MacArthur loving church. And then you had to go to, we had to go to a Mars Hill Acts 29 church after that. So yeah. But the seed was planted, right? The, the, oh, that, that doubt of like, it can't be this, right? Or uh, the yeah. hope that maybe it isn't that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But you well, try to stay quiet about it for a very long time. Well, you've planted a few deep seeds here. One, Jamal. Um, two, Calvinism, <laughs> and three, systematic theology and this questioning. So can you just give us like an over, you know, an overview of the sketch of where did you begin? And you've, you've given us a little bit about some of the way marks along the path, but where did you start and how did you get to kind of where you are now? Okay. So grew up in, um, my parents were Methodist. They were older and I had older brothers and sisters, but they were Methodist. So all I knew when I was little was Jesus loves me, this I know. And I could talk to God and had a relationship with God and he was awesome and good and like a father. And my older siblings got involved in like Youth for Christ and the Navigators and these evangelical movements. And so I was taken along on that ride with my parents. We'd go to events and stuff. When I was nine years old, I went to um, a Youth for Christ event that on New Year's Eve that showed the movie A Thief in the Night. And oh, so I don't know if you all have heard of oh, that yeah. movie, but yes. um, Rapture Theology. Anybody, yeah, I was going to say, just in case anybody in the audience hasn't, although I bet many have, would you mind sharing a little bit about Thief in the Night? Oh, sure, sure. So I was sitting in the back of the auditorium with on my dad's lap as a nine-year-old. And my dad, again, my mom and dad didn't have a clue anything about rapture theology at all. Um, and I had never heard of anything. And so it starts out, the movie starts out where the woman wakes up and she, she um, her husband's gone. He's you know, he had been in the kitchen and he was gone. He was raptured up. And so the whole world is gone to hell in a handbasket. Hand and so the movie is about her and her sister, maybe, and her friends. They're all running from the government because the government is coming to get anyone who doesn't get the mark of the beast. And so as they're, as they're running, at the very end, they get caught and they get put in this little chapel. This is what is horrifying. Now, a couple years, a few years ago, I went on YouTube and found the movie because I have very vivid memories of it to this day. Um, and I was so right on, except for the only thing I didn't remember about it was, well, I didn't know how cheesy it was. Like it's it was a 1970s cheesy. movie. <laughs> At the very end, the girl has to make a decision on whether she's going to get the mark or get her head chopped off. And the very end of the movie ends with the a guillotine coming down on her head and her sister screaming and so it's a happy friend. ending it's a, happy it's a very ending. happy ending yeah. <laughs> and she's she's going up to the guillotine and hearing this music and eerie 
you know, mm-hmm. Christian music and they're in these white gowns. And you can see, though, the cheesiness is that there's a laundry basket that catches their heads. <laughs> oh there's, like, there's like fake blood coming off the laundry basket, you know. And um, I feel like whoever made this movie also made the sex ed movies. I have like, yeah. I think <laughs> exactly like, right. Um, like the same filmmaker must be. Like, yeah, I gotta say though, I had never thought before about the fact that an entire ge- a, a generation of many people who had seen that movie was absolutely primed for the book. She said yes, and I had not made that connection until just now. Mm. Okay, she said yes. That's I don't the know book that about book. the girl from. Colorado, uh, who got who the, the story goes, uh, that yeah, the shooter was like, Do you believe oh, in Jesus? Rachel, Rachel, yeah. something, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. I had not made that connection until just now, until you were describing the end of that movie, and I'm like, Oh, that's why that landed so easily. Um, yeah, yeah anyhow, thanks for yes. thanks for summing up that horrifying trauma inducing yeah. experience for so many people. So you were. You were so at that moment, yeah. yeah, at that moment, God became this scary monster God. And I went home that night. I remember, again, fourth grader, went home that night and laid in between my mom and dad and held both of their hands, just gripped their hands the entire night. For months, I would and just beg God, like, either don't take them or take me with them. <laughs> either way, I, I need my mom and dad, you know, so... Yeah, he it it became a real crazy craziness in my head from that point on because I had these parents who were I had this fun loving family and a good time and I have so many great memories as a child and then I have this god that I was so scared of. Um yeah, and so then I started I I always was uh boy crazy, loved loved boys and loved God, but loved boys maybe a little bit more than God (laughs) and got myself in trouble. Now that was hard too, because when you think that Jesus is returning at any moment, you do not want to get caught with your pants down. And I had a real problem with that. Um, So anyway, ended up getting pregnant before I was married. And again, I I always felt like a misfit because I was Loving high school, loving being a cheerleader and a majorette and all those good things. But also I had this Campus Life Youth for Christ group over here. And I kind of was never godly enough for them, but also never whatever secular enough, quote unquote, for my friend. Like I just never knew where I fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up getting pregnant the year after I graduated from high school by my husband now. Um but we had a few years in there where he was Catholic and I was trying to tell him that he needed to ask Jesus into his heart and become a Bible believing evangelical fundamental Christian. Mm-hmm. And a few years into it, he, he did, he said the prayer and actually one cool thing about it is he would say now that God he felt like he was just asking God for a second chance mm-hmm. and that that's what he got. Like he, he, his world did change. He, he did um, change o- almost overnight. Like it was amazing to see what God, what God did. Like that's how I somehow still believe, you know? Um, but we got married, had four kids, jumped right into uh, homeschooling. 
our daughter, our youngest. So we went through the shiny, happy people phase where we were not, we didn't join the IB, whatever, IBF, but we did um, have a lot of friends that did. And so I had a lot of friends who were starting to wear the skirts and they put their skirts on their daughters and not listen to Christian rock music and all of the things. And (laughs) I sucked at that stuff. Like I couldn't do it. I wanted to have fun. My kids watch Disney and, <gasps> you know, play with Barbies. You were a um, rebel. <laughs> I was. I, I kind of was. And I would say, you know, you, you all can just call me a homeschool misfit. That's fine. Um, yeah. So I always felt like I was never enough for, mm. for especially that group of people. And I wasn't quiet. And submissive, my husband, I was more of a leader. My husband was more, he's a nine on the Enneagram. So, but I was always pushing him to lead me. Come on, you got to lead me. You got to do that. And then I would want to speak, but I couldn't because I was a woman. So I would like make him speak. You know, I'd tell him what all to say and have him speak. So we were kind of a mess. Yes. (laughs) Oh, the way he got attended. Yeah. He's so happy right now. When when I spoke at Awaken um, in June, he was so happy to sit there in the audience and just watch oh. and be like, ah, oh, there she is. She's getting to do what she's always wanted to do. And yeah, so I could speak for, for children and I could speak for women and for teens, but I could never speak for men so in front of men. So I was about to say, uh, then we, you, you could just tell them what they needed to say. Yeah. Right. Yes. I love it. <laughs> This is what you say. Um, and and then we went through the True Love Waits era because we had such a good little testimony that we would, you know, talk about it. And we had to make it look really bad um, when we would give our testimony the, to these high school kids. Like, oh, it was horrible. And it it was. I mean, it, it was. I wasn't married, but I lived with my parents. And my parents were beautiful and awesome throughout the whole thing. And I had a mom there to help me take care of a newborn. And um, yeah, but we didn't say that kind of stuff. We only mm-hmm. told the bad parts so that kids wouldn't actually have sex before they were married because we had to get them to wait if because true love waits. And yeah. so I remember one of the other leaders asking me, why do you think that you did what you did? Why do you think you actually had sex before you were married? And I was like, because it was really fun. Like, (laughs) I guess, I don't know. Like what, how do you answer that? You know? And yeah. So we did that and jumped right into purity culture. Joshua Harris Mm. uh, taught our, you know, oldest, all of our children, you know, every man's battle. We went through that phase. So yeah, we went through a lot of phases. And then it then came the worship era where we got into the Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman and David Crowder and went to passion events. And mm. that's where we found John Piper. So we were doing real well until we found John Piper at a passion event. And he, he stood up and said, um, if you are following anyone who's in the emergent church, you're a sitting duck for false doctrine. And at that point, yeah. we were like, okay, well, we need to throw our NUMA videos away. We need to, Aww. you know, uh, yeah, we got real serious about calling other people heretics at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else was a heretic and we were on the right track and then went deeper and deeper. And yeah, so that's yeah. where we went was into <laughs> Calvinism straight in. Well, right. and then you 
you read the systematic theology book, everything broke <laughs> open. And it doesn't sound like you're in that place now. Kind of tell us no. a little bit about the transition and where, where you are now. Where I am now. Well, uh, thank you, Keith Giles, for helping me reconstruct. Um, yeah, it just was years of having questions. So from probably 2011, the first time I watched the video where Rob Bell was talking about his new book, Love Wins, at that mm-hmm. point. And I watched the video and, and he was like, is Gandhi in hell? Really? Right. And I walked out into the living room after watching that and said to my husband, I was like, I, I have all those questions. And so as I started to tell people I had those questions, they were blaming Rob. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not Rob's fault. Like, I have had these questions. Rob's just putting words to the questions that I already have. So, yeah. So those questions were coming. Um, and like I said, at that point, we were in a church that was an Acts 29 church. So Mark Driscoll, we were listening to all of that kind of thing. Hmm. By the way, somewhere in there, I started to have really bad um, anxiety and depression. Well, we'll go back to like 1994. So late 1900s, I had my first bout of anxiety and depression. And at that point in the late 1900s, nobody knew what that, I mean, people didn't talk about it. Um, so by the time this era was coming around, I, I was in and out. I think it was hormonal, like, and on antidepressants and off and all that kind of thing. Um, but at that point, I was having pe- people were praying over me to pray the demons out. And, you know, mm-hmm. Mark Driscoll was all about the demonic stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just pray them out. Because you know what? If if you could pray, I wanted it. Like, I wanted them to pray the demon out. Because if I had worked, you know, I'd been trying for so long. If it only were that easy for you to pray that out of me, mm-hmm. that'd be real nice, you know? <laughs> so it didn't work. Um, turns out though, that when you stop believing in demons, then, (laughs) then that is helpful. Um, and you stop believing (laughs) and you learn more, I should say not stop believing in hell, but just learn more about what the beliefs have been throughout the years. The anxiety and the depression, it's, it's very helpful. I did not know how much my belief system was leading me into the anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So at that point we, my husband and I just kind of stopped going to church. My parents moved in with us. <clears throat> they were 85 and 82 when they moved in or something like that. My dad passed away two years after they moved in with us. He had dementia and we were t- helping take care of him. He passed away in our house. He was on hospice and, um, I held his hand and there were years in there when we were learning all this, go to the nations. We were doing all the things, you know, die to yourself. Um, that I didn't know if my parents were saved because they were Methodist and they didn't read the Bible and they didn't tell us, you know, to go to the nations and all these kind of things. Well, clearly I, and they didn't talk about systematic theology. I remember one time we were, I was fighting with my older siblings because I was a heretic then when I did believe in Calvinism with some of my brothers and sisters, Mm. they were mad about that. So, um, we would be fighting about that in the living room and my mom would come out of the kitchen. She'd be making dinner or whatever. And she'd come out and she'd be like, I'm so glad 
that I don't have a clue. I'm too dumb to know what you guys are talking about. All I know is Jesus loves me. This I know. Mm-hmm. And then she'd walk right back into the kitchen and I would think, I don't even know if she's saved. Like, oh. really? You know? And and so, yeah, that's really hard for me to even say that. But I, I thought that until I was going through all of this questioning and then my dad passed away and I was holding his hand when he passed away. Um, and I knew, I knew at that moment, like I knew he wasn't going to hell like that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's not, I knew that. Um, mm. And so eight years later, my mom passed away then in 2020 and she lived with us too. And she, we got to bring her home. She was on hospice. We brought her home from the hospital. She was there for a week on hospice and we all got to tell her just like my dad, like go, it's time you can go. And I was on duty that night. Um, that very last night of her life, I was laying in that room and she started breathing funny and I got up and I went over and I sang her right into the arms of, I'm pretty sure Jesus. And I'm pretty sure my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and I told her at that point you can go. And, and I write about that in the book. Um, just the fact that it's really cool that I could go from being a, a nine-year-old who's holding both of their hands and begging God, don't take them to a 40 something, 50 year old saying, okay, guys, you go on ahead and Mm -hmm. held both of their hands as they were ushered in to whatever it is that they're ushered into. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. I don't think I answered the question. No, you absolutely (laughs) did. You absolutely did. It was mostly about how you got from, from that John Piper moment to this moment. So Thank you for that. And you mentioned your book. Uh, it came out. What about? Uh, it came out just just this past June, May, April, April. Um, yeah. Super exciting. And tell tell us a little bit about it. What drove you to write it in the first place? Who are you trying to reach? What's it about? Okay, so uh, I would say Keith drove it. He drove this train. Um, well, you wrote I, it. Though. It's your book. I, I wrote it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So probably in in 20, 2016, when uh, everything was in turmoil politically, um, that summer, and I was, I remember watching the, uh, we're voting on who's going to be the candidate, right? And I'm watching all of mm-hmm. the debates and going, there's, there's no way there's no way we're going to vote this guy in, you know, like, there's like, look, at, did you hear what he just said? There's no way. Mm-hmm. And, and all of this turmoil and going, what, who are we? What is this? Um, and reading Pete ends, I was reading that summer, the sin of certainty, I think, yeah. and got in trouble <clears throat> with some family members for reading that. And um, so I was just really struggling called my doctor and said, my anxiety is so bad that my doctor, it was just a general practitioner at the time, doubled my dose of my antidepressant. And that sent me, that sent me into something that, you know, uh, I'm still on something, but it can be dangerous. And what happened like probably two weeks into that was I had my first ever and my last, but my first thought of, I think I could end this right now. You know, our kids are grown. What is my purpose? I've lost all of my purpose. You know, I don't, 
have a voice anymore because I had been told too, like when I had been asking questions, we ended up, so we were living in Columbus, Ohio, moved back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where we live now. And we're going, we have been going to a progress, pretty progressive church. But even in that, um, like I remember being at a women's book club and we were reading Brene Brown. So I Mm -hmm. thought I was safe. And I Mm -hmm. said something about, you know, like hell is hell real. Like what is, I said something like that. And one of the other women who is a good friend and a precious, precious lady looked at me and she said, you know, I think it's okay that you say that here, but I would never want you to say that in front of like the high schoolers or a college Mm -hmm. student. I would never want you to say something like that. Um, And I went, I remember going home that night and just saying, I've lost my voice. I have no more voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but after, so I had those thoughts. I called my niece, who's my best friend. Um, and I said, I'm having thoughts of like, I-, I could end this. And she came right over. It was in the morning. I was in bed. She came right over. She fed me. She called my counselor or her counselor. I didn't have a counselor at the time. She called my her counselor and then called my doctor. And got me out of bed and thank God for that. Thank God for her. And a couple of weeks later, I wrote about it. They down, they took my dose back down and I was okay. And I wrote about that a couple of weeks later and put it on Facebook and people came out of the woodwork that I would have never known. You know, before that I had put fun stuff up and whatever, but that was deep and people came out and, you know, were messaged me on the side and saying, thank you. You're really brave. I can't believe you said all that, but I have that too. I had other people say, I would have never dreamed like that you have any of that. You seem so great. You seem so perfect. And I'm like, I'm not, (laughs) I've got a lot of issues if you only knew. And so I started to write more on Facebook Still not the stuff about hell necessarily, though. Um, and then I saw, because through Jamal, I ended up seeing, I was listening to Heretic Happy Hour and um, saw Keith's, one of your posts, Keith, the one about the inerrancy of scripture, I think. Okay. And I was passing that around behind the scenes to all of my other deconstructing friends, you know, like, you got to read this. This is amazing. And um yeah, joined the course. And I did that by, all by my little self. I joined his square one course. And normally I would take a friend with me, but I didn't. I just was like, I'm doing this. And I think my glasses are fogging up, you guys. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So okay. I did I did that and told my story on there. And I said that very first time, and Keith, maybe you could say, I think you remember this too. I was telling my story and I just said, I lost my voice somewhere along the somewhere along the way, I had no more, I can't speak anymore. I can't talk anymore. And Keith, do you remember what you said? Yeah, it was something like, and it's so funny because this, I, I didn't know you, you, you know, no. it's the very first session, a bunch of strangers on the zoom call, everyone's going around talking. You were like the last person you kind of told us a little bit of your story. And then you, you said that at the end about that you felt like you lost your voice. And then I had what I felt like was a, a let's call it a Holy spirit moment or something. It just felt like I needed the response just kind of instantly came to my, to my lips. When you said that, it was like, I really believe Karen that um, you're going to find your voice again. Um, By the the time we come to the end of this, you know, you're going to find your voice again. And yeah, it kind of, it felt like I needed to say that to you and I had no idea what that was going to mean. But then you started posting 
a little bit more of your personal stuff and your writings in that we have a private Facebook group for square one. And so you started posting in there and I was amazed by what you were writing. Everybody else was amazed about what you were writing. Um, and then I was like, Hey, maybe you should have a blog. <laughs> yeah. So we got you set up on Patheos with a blog and uh, then I'll let you tell it from there because you started writing more. Yeah. As I, as I started to write at, at some point, I realized I, I have a lot, I, different people too would say things like you should put these writings into a book. And so at some point I just mentioned to Keith, Hey, what do you think about a book? What do you think if I just put some of these together? And at first, the first one I sent to you guys, I think had like 300 posts in it or something. And Keith sent it back and was like, okay, maybe you could make two books out of this. <laughs> yes. I think it was like, this is like 600 pages. Maybe you could cut this in half. <laughs> Yeah. And so when people are so like, oh, you have a book, you wrote a book. I'm like, I feel like it was, I feel like I cheat. I always have felt like I cheat the system, but I feel like I cheated the system a little bit because it is years of writing. I mean, and we did have to edit it and we did have to, you know, but I had these two guys to put it together for me and somebody to, you know, it just, it's been a, it's been a really cool ride. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And the title of the book yeah, too much and not enough. Which is the perfect title, especially for the conversation we've been having. Because really, I mean, it really is just the perfect way of encapsulating your journey as well as the experience that so many of us have had of not fitting into the containers quite right. And I really, yeah, I really appreciate the the title. Um, I've got a wrap-up question, but I want to make sure that uh, that we have... Uh, that we have a chance for anybody to jump in on anything well, before we get to that. You the perfect last name for such a book. Shock. <laughs> you can just yeah, shock. give a little shock. electric shocks to everyone who reads the book. To right. Shock to me in reality. I love it. Yeah. I feel like the, the cover, the colorful color kind of looks yes. like that. Karen shock, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, you've gotten great feedback. I mean, just like with your posts, um, you know, the thing that happens when you write a book and it gets out there is that it does find an audience and people do resonate with your voice and can really relate to the things you're talking about. And I, I think that's what's what I always loved about reading your posts when you would post them in the Facebook group or when you were posting on Patheos is that I, I just, I mean, I could see, I, I knew once people read these things that you were writing, the way you were writing them, uh, cause you have a very unique voice and unique style, um, People just like, yes, you know, that's me. I've been there. I feel that. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? I know you've gotten some really good feedback from people now that the book is out. Yeah, I, writing a book and putting yourself out there is so vulnerable, not just the content of the book, but even just the way it's written or, you know, like I'm afraid I kept saying to you guys, I don't have any footnotes. Like, (laughs) you know, even with, (laughs) even with choir, like I feel like a misfit, like I'm not this theologian, whatever, you know, I've got this cute, the cute little way of writing or whatever. And so it can go, my thoughts can go that way a lot. Like, Oh, did this even mean anything? What, like, is this, do people even, whatever. And, and as soon as I have those thoughts, I'll get a message or I'll get somebody who's read it. And I'm like, no way you read my book, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and they'll say things like, yeah, like you had me right away. You had me in those first couple, you know, I, and one person will say it was about 
the story about the C-section and another person will say it was the story about your marriage or it was a story like different things hit different people in different ways. So, um, yeah, it's just been cool. I think people feel seen, you know, and that, I guess that's what, yeah, that's, that's what I didn't know necessarily what the goal was, but I would say, I guess that's it is that other people could read this and go, okay, I'm not alone in this. So that's, That's right. beautiful. Yeah. Karen, thank you so much. It has been such a gift. I am really grateful. I can't think of a popular evangelical movement on my radar that you have not been a part of. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you- Dang it. All to get closer to God. Like I well, just begging him, begging it- him. But here's the thing you did. I did. You know what? I did. And that's, that's what's what- really, really inspiring to me yeah. about your story is it was a painful, painful journey, and I'm really yeah. sorry for that. But man, the relationship you have uh, with the sacred and with the yeah. the people around you, where God's embodied, that's amazing and it's so encouraging. It's so nice to look at people and not try to figure out whether they're chosen or not, right. and not try to think I have to talk them into something. But I can just like literally namaste you know the god in me sees the god in you like and i can actually do yoga if i want to and you know not feel guilty about watching barbie yes absolutely i love it so karen if people uh folks in our audience i know we're going to want to get in uh to follow your work to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to connect with what you're up to in addition to definitely tracking down a copy of uh too much and not enough yeah, too much and not enough is on Amazon exclusively. And so go to Amazon if you want to order the book. I think the Audible will be out soon. Yes, Matthew, maybe? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yes it is. Well, it, it I'm going to say it's going to be out by the time this comes out. Oh, cool. Putting okay. it on the record. Putting <laughs> it on, there it is. There it is. So maybe you can you could hear the audio. It's not me. One of these times though, I would love to read my own stuff, but this not this time. We um I'm excited to hear how it all comes out that way. Um I think she does a nice job reading my stuff. So that and Karen uh my website is KarenRuthShock.com. So you could go there and I think you can kind of get everything there. I will have, I do have a podcast uh, called Sacred Thoughts. Um, And by the way, uh, the, I I always forget what it's called, this part. What's this called? Subtitle. Thank you. Subtitle, Keith. Yes. Matthew, Matthew did that subtitle for me. He's the one who said, I said, I don't have a subtitle. And he said, I think you should say Sacred Thoughts said out loud. And there it is. So. That's and amazing. and so then my podcast is called Sacred Thoughts, the Sacred Thoughts podcast. So you could find it there. Oh, and we just talk about all the things that people don't talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Very cool. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Karen. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, Karen's a really good friend and so excited to have her as our heretic of the week. Woo-hoo! And if you haven't checked out her book, go check it out. It's really great. She was fantastic. She has lived the stuff we're talking about today. Yes, sadly. Yeah, which which means there's 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 hope. Gandalf <laughs> right. may call it a there fool's hope, after. but there's hope. In there fact, is. I think yeah. 
I think it's yeah. worth noting. So today we're talking about uh, the four-part documentary series on Amazon Prime, Shani Happy People, about the Duggar family and the Institute for Basic Life Principles that Karen was talking about uh, that she had connections with. And I think because this is a heavy episode, episode and I want to note that um, if you have had experiences with um, childhood sexual trauma or any sort of what we sometimes call high control groups or cult adjacent Mm -hmm. stuff, this might be a really hard episode. You might want to skip to the next uh, episode. Um, So I want to acknowledge that up front. But I do also want to say one of the things that I think we all found encouraging about it, so we'll get to talk about this at the end, is part of what's great about this documentary series is the last half of the last episode is really what can happen when we come through, when we survive, when we deconstruct, um, when we find other people who have gone through the same horrible things and are able to build a different life for ourselves and a different community. It's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's really encouraging in the same way that Karen, I think was. So where do we want to start with shiny, happy people? I want to start with the fact that I've never seen an episode of 19 kids and counting. Although I think when they started, it was like 14 or 15 kids. It like kept on going up, (laughs) but I am a big, they did. I'm a big fan of TLC <laughs> because I love every polygamy show on TLC and I'm not sure in good conscience how much longer I can walk them, watch them because TLC did such a number on the adult majority children yeah. of the Duggar family um, yeah. who were yeah, they you know, knew kind better. of and, and all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm feeling some disgruntled, like, fuck you TLC energy right now mm-hmm. um, around this whole craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never watched an episode. I I remember it being on and and just thinking, not thinking any of the uh, religious implications or the yeah. cultish type of thing. It was just this odd family who had a bunch of kids. Yep. Not I mean, and so now, obviously, there were a million red flags there for, but but it, they weren't presented to us in that way. So, and TLC that, was very intentional about doing that. They were very intentional about yeah. softening yeah. the edges. Yeah, kind of yeah. So I think it's bit. worth. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that, um, yeah, you. I think most people know about the show, know about the impact it had, uh, how into it people were. There were people in the documentary who were like, I'm naming my next son Jim Bob. Um, like, that guy is the man. That guy is everything. I want, you know, I want my kids to grow up to be Jim Bob. Um, and it's it's really striking. One of, uh, one of his nieces is interviewed regularly in the show and she talks about asking him saying, uncle, you don't, you don't believe in television. You don't want us watching television. Why are you doing this? And he said, it's a ministry. Um, there's a vanity fair article about this, uh, documentary series and they describe the Duggars as the Tom Cruise of the Institute for Basic yeah. Life Principles. Oh. Yeah. In the sense that he's the he's the celebrity spokesman. Celebrity right. that draws people into the movement. Yes. Yeah. That gets people in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let me maybe just give a really broad kind of overview of, of the documentary. So this is following Thanks. the Duggar family and the scandal of which the oldest son was accused and convicted and is currently in jail. Uh, of sexual abuse um, uh, and possession of child pornography. 
um, a few yeah. years ago. I Googled him today, the day that we're recording this, and he had um, the, at a federal level, um, his case was struck down for appeal. Like today. Yay. Um, and so, yeah, so he was trying to get like a new, like a new case at a higher level of appellate court or something. And they said, no, so he's back to jail, back to jail. He is, or just continuing where he is. Um, so the Duggar family has 19 children. A lot of them are adults by now. The oldest, the youngest one must be in her teens. Uh, I would, I would think by now, if I'm doing my math correctly, uh, but they're part of the quiverful movement. And this is what, uh, this is what I remember from before all of the scandal. Uh, I know someone actually, Shonda, you know, her too, Gail Rickers, uh, my clan's mm-hmm. wife uh, posted on Facebook, like a long time ago, uh, I know a lot of you watch this show. This is not just a show about a family with a bunch of kids and how they have how they cook enough casseroles to feed everyone on a regular basis. They're part of a really dangerous Christian movement called the Quiverful Movement um, that suppresses women and encourages people to have as many children as possible um, for the purpose of growing their movement. Um, and this is connected with uh, what was the name of it again? The International Bible. Basic Life, Life Principles Institute. Thank you. Uh, Basic, Basic Life, Life Principles, principles yeah. Institute. Yeah. Um, and so it's connected with this institute that uh, has homeschooling materials and um, a lot of a, a lot of really regressive and oppressive doctrinal statements that people are to enact in their families. And that, like we said before, that doesn't always come across in the show, which I've never truthfully seen an episode, but I've seen enough clips. I think everyone has to know that they're really presenting. How do you how do how do you feed 19 children? What do you do for mm-hmm. car rides? How do you afford mm-hmm. family trips? Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yep. So I, I, I need to say, um, so Wendy and I homeschooled our boys, um, and I and I can get into that a little bit, but we weren't part of a movement like this. We, we were sort of like on our own. Um, and But I but because, you know, we were homeschooling, we were also doing a house church. Um, a lot of people that came into our house church also homeschooled, and some of them were part of some of these other movements, right? So they would try to give us books and like, oh, you got to read this, and oh, you got to use that, and... And so people gave us books and let us borrow things and we would read through them and be like, oh, God, um, which were which is kind of touched on in this documentary, the, the stuff that's very patriarchal, um, excessively, oppressively patriarchal um, and the quiverful thing. We, I have I know people um, I even went to college with a guy who uh, is part of that quiverful thing. And they literally have more children than they currently then car manufacturers make vehicles large enough to move his, to get his family out to a movie or, you know, out to McDonald's. It's, they need like two vehicles because they, it's ridiculous. They have, they have the largest passenger van you can have and they still don't all fit. It's ridiculous. Um, and whatever it works for them, I guess. Great. But I just have never understood that whole thing about have as many children as you can. Um, but yeah, that stuff is real. So I've gotten to know some people that buy into that and believe in that. I've gotten to see some of that. Um, I remember a few years ago, I came across someone, a friend of mine wrote a book, um, sort of against the patriarchal movement. And he sent it to me to kind of read it in advance. And I'm reading the book and I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I finished it and I was like, well, yeah, it's really good. I mean, but I, but I, again, how naive I was, I was like, yeah, but who's this for? Mm-hmm. Like, is anybody living this kind of, a, I, I didn't, I was like, are you kidding? And he was like, oh, Keith. Yeah. Y- yes. Lots of people, um, are really buying into this, especially in the house church movement. Sadly, um, it has become, you know, integrated into that house church movement. So I've, I've seen a lot of that stuff. I'm aware of a lot of that stuff. And um, it's it's kind of scary. It's one of the reasons why I would warn people who feel like, hey, house church sounds fun. It's like, yeah, 
but be careful because they're not all the same. Not all the same. Yeah. What's scary is that, um, I mean, this is a stereotype and I, I haven't looked up the numbers. So bad producer, um, is that these, these folks on the right have their quiver full, which thank you, Katie from Psalm, uh, one Um, I guess I'll read it like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Sons. Uh, Notice it's sons, not children. I I read that. It's very creepy now to read that verse in this context. (laughs) Yeah. But the stereotype, right, is those of us who are leftists or progressives, we don't have many children. And all the progressives that I know, I got one kid. Um, It's like it's a numbers game. I have hope in the youth, but man, it's they're doing their best to like try to. And that's their whole thing is a cultural takeover Uh is to have so many kids that you you inundate the culture, so to speak, and then you you change it from within. And again, like the last documentary, God forbid, this one does a good job of saying, this isn't just about some interesting, cringeworthy show that we're going to watch. We're going to get it. We're going to get the uh, the meta the meta at the end, and it's like, oh, they're trying to completely and succeeding in some ways. In many ways, if you look at modern society, in many ways these movements are succeeding in in incremental ways yeah Yeah. i I want i want to you just reminded me something i want to point out because here's the sort of the darker underbelly of this quiverful movement which again is a a really deeply embedded in a lot of these house church um movements and churches um because i i came across this through people that i knew who were in the house church thing and i was sent this video by more than one person it's a highly it's a very well-produced kind of animated um, maybe like 10 minute docu- documentary or, or 10 minute video clip. Um, and it shows a graphic starts off showing a graphic of Muslims and how Muslims are, are having children and spreading to cover the whole earth. Right. And how, how in comparison, Christians are going to be a minority in 10 years. Right. And so then the solution, the end, the whole point is how can we stop this? Have more children. We win the battle as Christians by having more children than Muslims do, because the more children we have, the more Christians we have and all that. And so that, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this, this thing is very racist. This thing is definitely, it's, I mean, it's religious racist, but it's, it's definitely saying Christians need to win. We need to beat the Muslims. And the way we're going to do it is to have more children than them. So that's another part of it. I mean, I think people in this movement, that's something that's also in the back of their mind, uh, the, it's not just, oh, so God will bless me because of Psalms, whatever. Um, and it's also that, oh, because Christianity is going to be overrun by these Muslims because they're having more babies than we are. Which, um, yeah, which also dictates a very specific role for women to play in that kind of society. Oh. We'll talk about that more in a second. Although I was struck by one of the girls who grew, one of the women who grew up in this movement when she went to college and she read, uh, the handmaid's tale. And she's like, Oh, that was my life. Apparently that's yeah. not how it has to be. Um, yeah. uh, so let's come back to that. Cause I think Keith, what you're pointing to is one of the things they talk about towards the end of this series, which is this notion of the Joshua generation. Um, and they show video footage of the people who are, you know, we take all these kids and then we train the men for battle, literally an armed strike force. And we also make sure that we're positioning people as I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory thing. Um, It really, I mean, it seems 
unbe- almost unbelievable, but literally training uh, the young men as an armed strike force, also positioning social media influencers, also um, working to get uh, electeds into office. One of the most high, highly positioned people they get managed to get elected w- was in Congress uh, and then was removed on, was it sexual assault charges? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're, they're acting, they're acting consistently across the movement. Um, their goal was to get people elected as judges so that they could overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, there's this very intentional political aspect to it as well. I don't know if other yes. people have thoughts on that. Well, it's, it's a little, it is very scary. Yeah. Like you said, it's sort of like, it's, it's like the handmaid's tale, but even worse than you could imagine. Like are people Christians now, hold on a minute. Christians are really serious about this. They are serious about having a bunch of children, having training their children to basically be a, a, a terrorist cell strike force against, you know, not anti-Christians or who knows, maybe the beast and the antichrist, who knows. But like, it sounds crazy. You think you couldn't really convince people to do this. And if you did, how many people? 10, 20 people? No, we're talking hundreds of people. Here's the other thing too. Um, we lived in Boise, Idaho for a year. And what, when we were living in Idaho, what we were hearing from other Christians uh, around us there in Meridian and Boise was that um, if you go to Northern Idaho, the farther north you go in Idaho, like there's almost no oversight. There's a there's all these encampments. There's all these like weird Christian cults up there um, that are kind of doing exactly this kind of thing. They have tons of guns. They're having tons of kids. They're having multiple wives, and their goal is they're like they're like preppers. You know what I mean? They're getting ready for the um, whatever the, the the beast and the antichrist and the end of the world and all that bullshit. So, um, but I mean they, they're taking this very seriously, and there are hundreds of them. And and I'm sure they're everywhere. So, yeah, the political ramifications I was maybe vaguely aware of, but the the Joshua movement was um, really new to me. And the I forget, I forget his name, but the guy in there who was an ex Joshua graduate, and he had, he had he's denounced it since then. He was like, "You probably never heard of this because we're good at keeping it kind of yeah. underground to look mainstream." Yeah. Um, and so to me, that's kind of part of the insidiousness of this too. It's um, you do have people in bunkers, like Keith just said, but you also have people really whose goal is to um, make oppression mainstream and mm-hmm. to make it a title, shiny, happy, right? Yep. Because when they present the yeah. thuggers on TV, it's always, and they make a big point of this in the documentary, they always speak with a very calm voice. Yep. And when they yeah. call the children for disciplining, it's in a tone like this. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's also creating trauma bonds. Like literally they, I watch them, you know, you watch in the documentary how they're creating trauma bonds with their children. Um, so one of the saddest parts to me, this just broke my heart was that, so this all hinges on Gothard, um, the Charlotte yeah, school hypocrite, guy who's still alive who founded this um he didn't explicitly found the movement and it's not really a church um and that's also what makes it insidious there's no like the i guess the the international bible thing is kind of its own organization that you could attack uh, but he's also been brought up on sexual abuse charges many um uh, most of which didn't stick because they had the statute of limitations had elapsed um and so there, there's just all sorts of creepiness but he teaches basically to like beat the hell out of your kids and to yeah. teach them that crying is um, 
is 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 not a good way to express their emotions. And so they they show Michelle Duggar um, starting with her six month old. They put something that the six month old wants in reach that the uh, that the child can see, Ugh. and then they take it out of reach to make them cry, and then to discipline them not to cry that they can't have things that they want. And that that just about broke my heart. Um, That's pretty sick. Uh, yeah. Trying to, yeah, doing this to a six-month-old. And then some of the young women, um, well, women now, but were young women at the time, uh, talked about how they were put in isolation in hotel rooms for up to four days, uh, made to pray, made to repent, and of stupid shit, like buying tampons. Mm-hmm. And so at one point there was like some of the, uh, some of the young women, when they would come home, or I guess it probably everyone, not only young women, wives too, um, their bags were searched like for kind of contraband. So one woman had tampon, had tampons as a teenager and they were told that the, and so this is a little laughable that they're for pleasure and that they're the devil sticks. <laughs> like devil really sticks. Devil sticks. I thought devil sticks were joints. Seriously. <laughs> I, don't they, I don't know what they do for you for a joint. But or they would even recognize it. But anyone who thinks that a tampon is for pleasure clearly has is a man. zero familiarity <laughs> with female anatomy, and it's clearly never like spoken to a woman. Yeah. So I can yes. verify they they a they're not sturdy enough to be for pleasure. They're just not. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. And and oh, second, the and problem. the time the time in which you need a tampon, you're you're not thinking of pleasure. You're just like, yeah. Just a hard no on that. Yeah, and when you see this level of, uh, it's like child abuse. It's it's brainwashing, and yeah, it's awful. It's horrible stuff. Yeah, and this is the kind of stuff that yeah, Bill Gothard creates curriculum um, right for homeschoolers and, and stuff like that. And we were we definitely came across that stuff, and that's some of the stuff that people tried to push on us, and we were we we would read it and be like, Ugh. Uh, luckily we were already we already decided what we were how we were going to go forward. I guess, you know, I, I, I guess to say not all house churches are bad. Not all homeschoolers are evil and creepy. Um, but you do need to keep your eyes open. If you do, if you, if you haven't had kids yet or your kids, you haven't, t- you know, if you're deciding you're going to homeschool your kids or not, um, you need to be aware of all these kind of things. Cause you're going to bump into them. And, and in the beginning, it may seem like, Oh, it's it's Christian. It's godly. It's good. It's you know, there's a couple of Bible verses to support this bullshit. Um, you need to be aware of this stuff. And doc, again, documentaries like this are great to expose a lot of it. And I think that that's one of the things worth uh, talking about for a second is the homeschooling didn't really provide any education. In fact, they education that would prepare people for a world outside of this community. Yeah. Um, and so this makes it even harder for people to get out if they want to, because they don't have viable skills in the real world that would allow them to walk away from, from this community. Um, I also think it's important to note that some of that homeschooling content was designed to reinforce a lot of uh, the worldview that did make women... Uh, required women to be subservient, also saw blamed them for any of the problems that showed up. Um, they had that whole eye trap lesson where you were supposed to look at pictures of girls and women and circle the parts of their clothing that were temptations for men, like open-toed shoes 
or short sleeves. Um, you Taylor know, colors. so yes, yes. So I think the ways in which this all hinges very much on patriarchy is yep. a really important part of this. It's why Josh Duggar was protected when he had harmed his own sisters, um, as well as all the other stuff. It is why um, Bill Gothard was protected from uh, all of the young people he had harmed. Uh, it really hinges on lack of accountability for men in general and people at the top in particular. Yep, exactly. Am I correct in remembering that Josh Duggar, the oldest son who is in jail, that he was also abused sexually as a young, as a youngster? Oh, that might be true. I don't remember. If... Or am they I, am I remember? That... Am I... They didn't cover it in the documentary. Okay. That I recall. Uh, and I just finished it this morning. So um, actually I was, I was uh, struggling to finish the last 20 minutes. Cause like I was somewhere without um, Wi-Fi, and I was like, ah, I'm just going to watch it on data. And I'm really, really glad that I did. Um, so I don't remember. I don't remember that part, but it also wouldn't surprise me, right? Like this is traumatizing, indoctrinated people, yeah. traumatizing and indoctrinating other yeah. people. Right. Generational. With the exception, yeah. Of Bill, like, yeah, with the exception, it seems like of Bill fucking Gothard. Yeah. Um, who's just a megalomaniac. Yeah. No, as far as I can tell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask that just because it makes sense. Like, not it's never it's never to um, kind of whitewash what someone has done, mm-hmm. but just to add a context that mm-hmm. you know a lot of times this this trauma is passed intergenerationally, yeah. and the behaviors as well, which is kind of the, I guess the cyclical scary part is that the I mean the more children you have, the more you abuse them, the more chance they become abusers later down the road um i'm not saying it happens all the time and i'm not saying right that you know it's, it it's to discredit what people you know decisions you can make to not do that but just as a as a point of fact yeah i mean we're all we're seeing i mean you i, I could just see it in the clips especially with michelle um right she's she's parroting stuff that she's been taught and probably sincerely believes it and just mm-hmm. passing on this legacy of, of spiritual harm, of physical harm, of emotional harm. Um, one of the one of the saddest parts to me too was in um, the the main daughter, who I think is the second oldest daughter, the fourth child, um, and their names are all escaping me because they all start with mm-hmm. J. Nineteen yeah. children whose names all start with J. I would never call any of them the right name ever if I lived in that household. Um, I have three nephews who all names all start with J and I haven't called any of them the correct name in years now, <laughs> not in years. Um, so anyway, but I think it's Jessica. Is that the oldest Jessica or Jill? I forget. Um, but the oldest daughter who's interviewed kind of throughout the series and has distanced herself um, from all of yeah. this and has come out. She was one of the victims of abuse, but she was, um, she did an interview with Megan Kelly that she really regrets yeah. now. And whenever they asked her about Josh, she was like, I really, she was like, I don't want to, she didn't want to speak about it. But she and one of the other daughters were still, I felt like in a place where they couldn't say my brother did harm to me and should be held accountable. They were still in a mildly protective move against him. And so that speaks to the depth of the trauma bonds 
Um, and that's, that's not, that's not uncommon. It's very, very common. It's very, very normal. Um, but they still don't quite have enough distance from that. I, you know, I, I didn't feel to um, kind of speak about it and to keep yeah. on speaking about it. But also the daughter, this oldest daughter, uh, second oldest daughter, who was interviewed quite a bit, which she and her husband, and they talked about how they were married at a very young age, super, super young. She had no experience kind of like with sexuality, she had no sex education. And they started having children and TLC said, well, we want to um, film the birth. And they said, no, yeah. they, they, wanted, they wanted that to be private. And TLC basically insisted because it was in a contract. And so this also, wow. this just autonomy, this bodily violation of not being able to have something that's intensely private if you want it to be, be very private. Um, makes me, sadly, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to sign up for the sister wife subscription I usually get. Because wow. fuck you, TLC. That's, that's a sacrifice. Yeah. That is a sacrifice for me. I've like, like 20 seasons and counting for me of sister wives. I've been watching that since the beginning. <laughs> also its own little cult, but three of them have left. <laughs> so, I know that we're getting to the place of wrapping up. So I want to just circle back to that, uh, that notion that the last 20 minutes of that last episode, um, just hearing, hearing people recognizing their own power um, Mm. as they have been able to extricate themselves, as they've been able to deconstruct, as they've been able to offer encouragement to others who are trying to get out um, it's really moving. It's really profound. I didn't expect to experience much hope because I've watched a number of these kinds of documentaries and they rarely end with anything other than at best crud, we got to do something so they don't take over. Um, this was a really encouraging ending. I really appreciated that. And the other thing I want to note is I knew, like I grew up with people who said the Smurfs were demonic and, you know, I, I counseled campers who believed that Harry Potter was dynamic, but I did really love the plot twist that Xavier Roberts was a warlock and therefore we shouldn't have Cabbage Patch Kids. I still have my Cabbage Patch Kid and I am never letting go of her now that I know that she is the product of a warlock because she is so much more magic than I realized. So what, I've never heard of Xavier Roberts, but I definitely have heard of Cabbage Patch. He's the inventor. The I'm sorry. Cabbage Patch Kid. Her name is May Lee. And her kusa is named Jackie. My mom has one. My mom has a Cabbage Patch Kid in a cedar chest somewhere. They were a thing for a while, kids. Oh, man. They used to be a thing. Like like now, I guess it's what, pops? Everybody's collecting pops or now or whatever. There's always some little thing to collect. Um, Last thoughts from me. Um, Well, fuck you, Quiverful. This is un- this is uncool. Uh, this whole movement, and on a scale of fucked upness, what rates higher? Um, this documentary, the you know the the subject of this documentary, or the subject of our first one, uh, God forbid, with the um, the, uh, the name. All I can think of is now the incorrect name. God forbid. Oh. Yeah. Any happy people. Jimmy. No, she's she's asking for us to do a fucked upness. Uh, Comparison well, what's the megalomaniac? The yeah, what's the Fallwell. megalomaniac? And Falwell, thank Fallwell. you. Between Falwell and the like, uh, Gothard, Gothard movement. Oof. Uh, I mean, who I was mean... worse, Hitler or Mussolini? I mean, <laughs> I I know. Know. <laughs> don't make us choose. <laughs> <laughs> there is a room enough for all of them to be horrible. You ha- do you have I a hierarchy, Katie? 
yeah, I, I think this one is like more fucked up than um than Falwell. Because I do think that Falwell Senior, like we kind of said before, was uh, if he had his own system of inter- of uh internal integrity, it was fucked up. I don't agree with it, but mm-hmm. I think he actually kind of believed some of what he was saying. Senior, mm-hmm. not junior. Um Gothard, I don't yeah, I, I think it's just after the power. Like just after the power. So like this mm-hmm. one has more a, a deeper level of fucked upness to me. Because it's children, when when you see something, because again, this documentary is showing you what happened, how this stuff negatively impacted one family, but we know there are hundreds of families that have suffered uh, in the same or maybe even worse ways because of this bullshit. So yeah, to me, this is worse. What do you think? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the societal impact. I actually mm-hmm. think the Falwells have impacted society uh, on a on a bigger scale. So as as like, I feel like I'm I'm more grossed out by this one, but on a societal level, the other one's worse. You know, it's funny because I was thinking similarly that the breadth of impact of the Falwells is underestimated and very mainstreamed at this point. Yeah. Um, so much of what they were imagining is now the law, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And and it's also what set the stage for something as extreme and terrifying as um, this just profoundly patriarchal, oppressive, um, exploitive system to be even in the realm of possibility. So I think they're not unconnected. Well, as fucked up as both of these are, there's nothing more fucked up than having a website that's out of date. You guys how I like you like how I did that? And that is what heretichappyhour.com is. So if you want to go to our outdated fucked up website, heretichappyhour.com, and see what kind of wonderfully fucked up merch we have. Go it's check it capsule. out. It's a time it's capsule. It's a time capsule. <laughs> See what websites look like in 2021. <laughs> um, check them out and report back. And Katie's going to tell you where you can report back. Well, the website's just another victim of the pandemic, you know. Uh, True. You know. There's, there is too, some truth too, to that. Too many rules, too many regulations to maintain a website then. But yeah, go, go to our website. Tell us what your favorite 2021 episode is and then post it in Heresy After Hours, which is our free Facebook group for everyone in all levels of deconstruction. You know, maybe we can get some of the Duggar, former Duggar kids in there. They talked about deconstructing and rebuilding their spirituality. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe they'll come and join us if they're listening to this episode. We would, we would love to have everyone there. Anyway, we love hearing about your experiences. It's a great supportive community. So we hope to see you there. Yes, and if you would like to help us, please donate so we can fix this uh, aging website. Uh, you could do so by becoming a supporter of Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Um, <laughs> make a generous donation. You will receive many, many blessings, many, many um, bonus interviews and episodes and many other cool things as well as access to our private Facebook group, um, Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So uh, if you already support us, we love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. If you don't yet, please head on over and consider supporting your favorite podcast. And you all have no idea how much of a difference it makes if you take the time to subscribe, rate, and review us so that people like you can find people like us. Please take a moment to do it. It would mean the world. Fill our quivers, folks. <laughs>
Uh, that was kind of a gimme that Keith missed out on your right. Can I do my joke now? Try it. Every dollar that Patreon, there is nothing that looks like Bowser's name I cannot remember. Oh, well. Oh, well. That's right. That's right. You're here at the happy hour. <laughs>